Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hey everyone, it's Reed. Before we get started, I just want to say thank you for listening, but now I need you to share the message, share the Lincoln Project podcast. If you haven't already, rate it five stars, share with your friends, your family, anyone who you think might be interested. As always, all I could say is thank you, keep on listening, and now on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm once again coming to y'all solo for another Q&A episode where we'll be answering questions asked by you, the listeners and members of The Lincoln Project community. Me, Rick, Stu, Joe, and everyone at The Lincoln Project love hearing from you. And as always, if you have questions, please do not hesitate to ask. Send them to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And with that, let's get to your questions. Okay, first topic, 2024. At David S. Lewis on Instagram asks, why do GOP candidates primary Donald Trump? They have to know it's a waste of money. So David, this is a good question. I think it's a part of it, which is this whole idea of, if I don't run now, I'll never have a chance to run. That really takes place when you have you know, for a political party, what's called an open primary, right? You don't have a sitting president. When you have a sitting president, unless they're very unpopular, you're not really going to have a serious primary campaign. In this case, I think you could see that Ron DeSantis had told himself he could beat Donald Trump. You have a Mike Pence who says, you know, the guy tried to kill me. Maybe I don't want to just sit this one out and show that, you know, maybe I want to show some backbone. I think Nikki Haley and Tim Scott might want to be vice president. Chris Christie, I think, is on a revenge tour and a reputation rebuild effort. He knows this is a one-way trip politically for him. He's okay with that. You know, Vivek, Asa Hutchison, you know, Will Hurd, some of these folks, it's like they feel like they have to do it. Remember that it used to be that running a presidential campaign meant that if you weren't actually in Iowa, if you weren't actually in New Hampshire, then nobody knew you were running for president in those places. Now you still have to go, but there's a lot more economical ways to do it. You can get in and out of those places much more easily. It just costs a lot less. If it's just going to be you as a candidate driving around Iowa, it's the cost of a rental car. New Hampshire, it's the cost of a rental car. So you know, there are people who feel like they want to do this. They want to get their names out. Maybe they want to write a book. Maybe they want to set themselves up for 2028, whatever the case might be. But the bottom line of your question is the right one, which is they can't beat them. They certainly can't beat them the way they're running their campaigns. They either know that and they're choosing not to, or they don't and they're choosing not to. As I've said previously, the only way to beat Trump in a Republican primary this year would be for all of his opponents to go after him all day, every day, as just brutally as they possibly could. But they don't want to do that. They're either temperamentally incapable of it, they're strategically unwilling to do it, 
or they're afraid of him and the trolls and everything else. What they don't understand is like it's not their party. It's Trump's party. It has been his party. It's going to be his party for at least the next 17 months. And so, yes, David, you're absolutely right. They're putting their families, their donors, their staff, all these people through a lot of stuff so they can end up second, third, fourth in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, wherever it might be. Okay. L1919 on Twitter asks, do we know who No Labels plans to run yet, or is it just whoever can suck up the most Biden votes? Well, L1919, this is a good question. So here's where No Labels is trying to be a little bit too cute by half. And for those of you who haven't heard, this is a group funded by dark money, mostly very wealthy Republican donors from places like New York, Los Angeles, Dallas, including the likes of Harlan Crow, Clarence Thomas's best friend. And their idea is they want to, quote unquote, create this insurance policy because they believe that Donald Trump and Joe Biden are equal somehow, that there is an equivalence between these two, that they are both radical in nature. Of course, we know that Joe Biden is a standard governing Democrat, and we'll get to that in a little while. Donald Trump is a radical authoritarian who wants to tear down the country as we know it. So let's just start from that premise. Who do they want to run? There's been a lot of talk about Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia. Manchin is a conservative Democrat, which I think that the no labels people want. And let me just say this. You will not be able to convince me that the leaders of this effort, a guy named Mark Penn, who was Bill Clinton's pollster till he got fired and Hillary Clinton's pollster till he got fired, was not wanted in the Obama or the Biden worlds. And his wife, Nancy Jacobson, who actually is the face of this thing, you will never be able to convince me that their motives are anything other than self-serving. Because if you believe that democracy is at stake, then you wouldn't be fooling around with something like this, where the third party candidate, guys, I've tried this, okay? I've tried it twice. It doesn't work. It does not work in the context of having a normal Democrat. It does not work in the context of an electoral map where you think that you know, an independent candidate is going to win Delaware, the president's home state, Washington state, Oregon, Texas, and Florida, right, guys? The last time near as I can tell, you know, any president won all of those states was Reagan in 1984 because he won 49 states. He only lost Minnesota, Walter Mondale's home state. And so whoever the candidate is, L, 1919, doesn't really matter. They will do nothing but siphon votes for Joe Biden. And I believe that that is the point. Right. Because what we have seen in their own polling, no labels own polling shows that a third party candidate siphons off non-Trump Republican voters that would otherwise go to Biden. And they siphon off potentially conservative Democrats who are concerned about the progressive wing of the party or maybe they think Joe Biden's too old, whatever the case might be. It helps Trump win. No labels elects Trump. That's really all you need to know. How are they going to find this candidate? You know, they don't even know. They've said that they haven't figured out their candidate nomination process. They're going to have a convention, as they call it, in Dallas next April. Joe Manchin seems to be at the top of the list. Larry Hogan could be another one who's potentially on board, although he says he has no plans for it. But the point is, is that whoever this person is, they have to be convinced. And this is a hell of a conversation to have with somebody that they can actually not only run but actually win 270 electoral votes as someone outside the system. Now, you can say, okay, Americans aren't happy with their choices. They're rarely happy with their choices. 
American voters are fickle. That's us by nature. Does it surprise me that a lot of voters are not looking forward to a Trump versus Biden rematch? It doesn't. But you know what? When the time comes, sometime next February, March, when it's clear again that Trump is going to be the nominee and President Biden will be the nominee of the Democratic Party, what will happen? Everybody who votes R or D will go back to their corners and those same hundreds of thousands of voters in key states will be the deciding factor. And to do anything other than make sure that we can protect democracy in 2024. And protecting democracy in this context means re-electing Joe Biden, period, end of statement. To do anything that would mess with that shows you that these people do not have good motives, that they do not care about what voters really want, that in fact they are a siphon for dark money for conservative donors who would rather have Trump and be able to do whatever it is they want to do and protect low taxes and whatever cockamamie idea they're going to come up with than protect the country. And unfortunately, that shouldn't surprise us. Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Okay. August Michael asks, so far it seems like Trump's various indictments have not hurt his polling numbers for the 2024 primary. But it looks like there are still a number of indictments yet to come that are expected for later this year. Will there come a time when these indictments start to negatively impact his election hopes in a measurable way? Yes, August, you're right. We should expect an indictment from Fannie Willis in Fulton County, Georgia, that's Atlanta, for his infamous phone call to Brad Raffensperger, where he said he just needed 11,380 votes or whatever it is. You could see Jack Smith indict Donald Trump in New Jersey for more documents. You could see Jack Smith indict Donald Trump in Washington, D.C. for potentially seditious conspiracy related to January 6th. You could see Donald Trump even now indicted in the state of Arizona, as it came out last week as we're recording this, that former Governor Doug Ducey said that Trump called him and pressured him to change the state's outcome. So he will be under enormous legal pressure. That being said, there is a direct line between Trump's legal jeopardy and his support amongst the Republican base. The more trouble he's in, the more likely it is they're going to support him. And so that's what we've seen. We should not expect that that is going to change anytime soon. We've been asked this question a lot. Is there at some point where enough voters just break off? Again, anything could happen, guys. I've been wrong a lot in the last eight years, and I'm happy to be wrong again. But I do not see a situation in which the most MAGA voters, and remember, guys, when they talk about, oh, Trump's got this floor of 35 percent, well, right now he's at like 56 percent of Republican support in primary surveys. So I don't see him losing 20 points in the next seven months or whatever it is. And so I would say this is that the more that he comes under legal scrutiny for his own actions, the more he will say they're out to get me and they're doing this to me to get to you, right? A lot of Republican primary voters believe him. Guys, remember, 
it's not just a political party. It's an authoritarian movement. MAGA is a movement, and Trump sits at the middle of it. Trump sits at the middle of it. The GOP is its political wing. Then you have Fox and OAN and all those who are its media outlets. You have Stephen Miller and Steve Bannon, who are the outsiders who do these sorts of things. They have all these front groups. They have the financiers. And so until and unless Trump goes away by losing another election, theoretically, the movement's not going to break up. History has shown us that when the leader goes, the movement will splinter. Some people who were otherwise normal Republicans before this all started will wake up sort of like Rip Van Winkle and say, what was I thinking? What was I doing? But the movement will splinter. But the issue here, guys, is too, is that the movement has already moved past Trump. If you look at a lot of these conservative states, it's the MAGAs, it's the ultra MAGAs, it's the QAnon weirdos that are in charge now. So even when we beat Trump next year, it's like getting in a car wreck, guys. You're hurt, you're in the hospital, you get out, but there's a lot of repair work left to do even when you get home, right? And that's where I see 26, 28 and beyond. Again, beating Trump next year is the biggest win we can have, but it's not the last win. Okay, let's move on to the Biden administration. Michael Simonize on Instagram asks, regarding the economy, will Biden get credit from voters? Well, Michael, I sure hope so. You know, just crazy job numbers out again this month. You know, ADT had, I think, 500,000 new jobs recorded. The Bureau of Labor Statistics had, I think, 200,000 jobs. Unemployment rate fell to 3.6%, which near as I can tell is nearly functional full employment. If you want a job, you can find one. In interest rates are coming down. Gas prices have moderated, although it's the summer, so they normally go back up anyway. But I would say this, Michael, is I sure hope that he gets some credit because what we're seeing, not only on the economy, not only on foreign policy, and not only on you know historic legislative wins, the president's doing a heck of a job in his first two and a half years. And I would say that so far we're not seeing that reflected in the polling. But that being said, we're also a very divided country. And this is also, we should remind everybody that the president's somewhere in the mid 40s as far as his approval rating is concerned. This is not unusual for a first term president at this point in their presidency. This is pretty much where Bill Clinton was in 1995. This is the same neighborhood George W. Bush was in in 2003. This is the same neighborhood that Barack Obama was in in 2011, right? So this is not an unusual thing for first term presidents. Then what happens? You get an ugly primary amongst the Republicans starting up. The Biden campaign, the DNC, Democratic organs start to come online, and those numbers will tick up. And by this time next year, if the economy is still roaring, my guess is, is that the president's going to be in pretty good stead. That's not to say we should take anything for granted. But Michael, your point is the good one, which is I wish he would get some more credit for voters, but it's also up to us to make sure that we are telling the story of Bidenomics, whatever you want to call it. I frankly don't care what you call it. The point is that if you are now a Republican running for president or a Republican in the U.S. House of Representatives, you now must bet against the American people and you must root against the American economy to be successful next year. And what does that say about you? Well, I think we know. Okay. At Go Amy Bo on Instagram asks, how do you answer when people say, I'm not happy with Biden's performance? So here's what I would say. Single-handedly restored America's place in the world, right? with his support of Ukraine and his ability to reconstitute NATO into the most effective force it's been probably in its 70 years. Look at the economy. It is on the move. 
the Infrastructure Act, the CHIPS Act, which is going to bring microchip production back to the United States. Guys, this is a much bigger deal. Remember, nothing works without these things, right? I'm no expert on how microchips work, but I'll tell you this. Your car doesn't work. Your phone doesn't work. Your watch doesn't work. Anything in your house, for the most part, doesn't work without these things. And he's bringing these things back. The IRA, right? The Inflation Reduction Act. And remember, too, guys, all of these are bipartisan acts of legislation and leadership. Biden doesn't get this stuff done without bringing Republicans along. And I think that's another important thing, too. Like, just lay it out. You know, again, very calmly. Here's what he's done. Here's what he's done. Here's what he's done. Here's what he's done. Across any number of things. And I'll tell you this, that a confident America is a better America. A solid America is a safer America, right? Not only at home, but abroad. And so if you're not happy with Joe Biden's performance, I'm not entirely sure what we can ask of you. If there are things he hasn't done, okay. No president gets everything they want. None. But let me ask you this. Are you better off today than you were four years ago? And my guess is the answer is yes, you are. Come next March, when we'll hit the four-year anniversary of COVID starting, I promise you, you're better off then than you were four years ago. And so that's the question to ask. Again, you don't have to get heated about it. You don't have to get angry about it. Just lay it out. Here's why I'm happy with the president, and here's why I'm going to be voting for his reelection. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, a couple of mix and match questions. All right, Eloise Johns asks, I think I saw a tweet or something that said Marjorie Taylor Greene was voted out of the House Freedom Caucus. Isn't she the queen of the MAGA crazies? What happened? Well, Eloise, you are right. She was booted from the House Freedom Caucus, which is, you know, the functional equivalent of the worst animal house the U.S. House has to offer. And so here's what happened. She sided single-handedly with Kevin McCarthy to get him elected speaker, making her probably the second most powerful person in the U.S. House. But then she went along with McCarthy to get the debt ceiling deal done back in May. And I think that was probably really for them the straw that broke the camel's back. These House crazies, these House Freedom Caucus people wanted the American economy to go off a cliff. They wanted to make sure that we didn't pass a debt ceiling increase. They wanted a lot of ugliness. And of all people, she didn't let it happen. So they have thrown her out because she is now an apostate to them, right? She is now part of the Rhino Caucus. She's part of the establishment or whatever the case might be. But remember, guys, the only people MAGA hate more than you and me are each other. These kinds of movements, they typically burn very hot and fast. Why? They can't get along with others. Name a MAGA leader from Trump on down who can get along with other people on a regular basis. They can't. You know why? Because they are, in some ways, psychologically damaged, broken, so overly ambitious that that is the only thing that colors their view of the world. And so am I surprised that she got booted out of the Freedom Caucus? No. But again, it shows you that this is a snake that desperately wants to eat its own tail. Okay. Vanya Olson asks, the latest batch of culture war decisions by the Supreme Court really got me thinking. 
These decisions are really going to make a lot of Americans angry, especially young voters. It's amazing to me that for how devious and relentless the right is in so many instances, they seem to be incredibly short-sighted strategically in others. The optimist in me is wondering, are the insane actions of the right over the course of the past decade the universe's way of self-correcting for the Republicans' long con of the past half century? Well, Vanya, that is a long question, but an excellent one. So here's what I would say. You're right. The latest Supreme Court decisions related to the LGBT community, related to student debt, and related to affirmative action are likely to really upset Gen Z voters and perhaps voters of color, certainly left-leaning voters, because a lot of the work that has been done in this country to try and deal with the inequity and inequality on which the country was founded are now being rolled back, and not surprisingly. And if you add this to the Dobbs decision last year, yeah, you can see where the Supreme Court is upsetting a lot of people. But I think you need to understand that this is all part of the plan, which is, are they short-sighted? In some ways, yes. But you even noted in your own question, they've been working on this for 50 years. And so what the conservative movement in this country has been working on for decades is locking in using the judiciary as a sort of super legislature, right? A legislature that can't be overturned to lock in the cultural values they hold so dear because here's what they know. The country's going away from them. The country's going away from them politically, socially, economically, and in everything else. So they have to use court decisions like this to lock in their vision of the world, right, as long as they can. But again, it has a lot of the dog catching the car, to your point, Vanya, right, which is with Dobbs, we saw that both young voters and female voters came out in droves because of their anger over it. Do I think that these issues will have the same effect? Maybe not, right? It's not an election year either, but I do think it adds to the list of things that will drive younger voters out in record numbers. And I think Democrats to rally around and say, if we want to change this at long last, then we have to go ahead and get out and start to elect people who can make sure that they're nominating judges who aren't going to do this stuff. Look, a lot of federal judges are off the chain. You look down in Texas, you look at the Fifth Circuit Court in New Orleans, right? That's the MAGA court. If you're going to go do something as a conservative that you want to roll back an individual right or make the left go crazy, you're going to file a case there because you know that you're going to get a hearing. You're probably going to get a positive outcome. It's going to go to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, and then it's ultimately going to end up in the Supreme Court. That's the process, guys. That's what they're trying to do. And so I think that you sort of answered your own question, and I'm giving you a long answer, Vanya. But yes, they desperately want to do this stuff because they know that they only have so much longer in which an arch-conservative, Ayn Rand, every man for himself kind of thing is going to be legitimate in this country. I wouldn't even say it's legitimate now. But that's what they're doing. They're trying to lock in these social mores through court decisions, which remember, they always said they hated judges legislating from the bench. Their judges were, quote unquote, strict constructionists, right, of the Constitution, when the truth is, is that they're radical. They're very radical. And the only way to beat back that radical nature is to make sure that we win where we need to win when we need to win. Okay. Last question. Landon Plummer asks, if you were in charge of communications for the White House, how would you advise the Biden administration to comment on this whole cocaine thing? All right, so for those of you that didn't hear, somebody went on a tour, I guess, of the White House. Normally on the weekends, guys, 
if the president and the first lady, let's say at Camp David, and the White House is otherwise empty, you can sign up for a West Wing tour, right? And the member of the staff takes you through. You're not allowed to go in the Oval Office. You can sort of peer in. You can look at the Roosevelt Room. It's a neat thing. It seems like somebody took a tour or visited the White House this past weekend or some weekend in the past and um, decided to leave their blow in a cubbyhole where people had to leave their cell phones. The idea that you walk around with a bag of cocaine like in the middle of the day, I guess, is bewildering to me, but I'm, you know, I'm not a drug guy. That you would bring it to the White House is beyond me as well. But to answer your question, Landon, you should say, if that person would like to come back and get their product, I'm sure the Secret Service would love to speak with them. You have to just answer the question. We don't know whose it is. We don't know how it got here. Do we think it's stupid and ridiculous? Yes. Do we think it's a bad thing for anybody to bring something like this to the White House? We do. Just answer it directly and move past it. Whose is it? Who the hell knows whose it is? And they should say that. We don't know whose it is, right? The Secret Service can go back through the logs and figure out who was there that day and start to question them. Ask the Secret Service. They're in charge of security. And as somebody said the other day, it's always funny that the Secret Service, who I have great respect for, couldn't wait to tell everybody that somebody left their bag of blow in the West Wing lobby, but it was also the same organization that deleted all their text messages around January 5th and January 6th. So yeah, answer it straight and just move past it. Here's where we are, guys, just as an aside. We're in the silly season of politics now. It's the summer. Anybody who can get out of Washington, D.C. is getting the hell out of Washington, D.C. There's not much news. The reporters are bored. The political class is bored. And so this is the kind of stuff that's going to be a tempest in a teapot. Again, answer the question straight and move on. All right, guys, I want to say thank you so much, as always, for joining me. Be sure to follow The Lincoln Project on Twitter at Project Lincoln and sign up for all of our updates at lincolnproject.us. As always, you can follow me on Twitter and TikTok at Reed Galen and on Instagram and threads at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP. Thanks again, everybody. I'll see you on the next show. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, visit jointheunion.us. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.